Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kendall Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Azure Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Evan Baslick. I'm joined by my fellow co-host today, Sajit. The rest of the team is taking a well-deserved day um, and I'd say enjoying themselves somewhere, but they're probably frantically trying to keep up with their work. Um, This is episode number 462. We'll be talking about AKS LTS uh, with George Palma from the AKS team. Um, And we are recording this on uh, May 22nd. uh, And this is the week of build. So we're actually not going to talk about anything build related this week. But, you know, lots of lots of stuff. By the time this comes out, um, a whole bunch of stuff will have gotten announced. So please do check out your build feeds if you haven't already. Um, so we've had a couple of shows just in the last couple of weeks that we've recorded. So um, not to mention build. So everybody's holding their news. So there is no new news this week. Um, so luckily, uh, you know, George is going to be here to talk to us about this stuff. So, George, I don't know. Tell us who you are and, and what you do here at Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Evan. Uh, so my name is Josh Palmer. I'm the uh, lead PM for the Azure Kubernetes service team. I've been around for a while and super happy to be here. Great. It's actually really nice to talk to you in a positive conversation, right? You and I only <laughs> typically run into each other when somebody's really unhappy um, with some element of AKS. So it's it's good to work with you in that sense. Um, let, let's start out with the obvious one. Um, what is LTS and why is it such a big deal that that this exists for, for Azure Kubernetes service? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're lucky we do have Build Week coming this time around, but we did have quite a few announcements at KubeCon uh, a couple of weeks ago. So we, uh, we're kind of doing a, you know, a double dip uh, in the, the month of May and April because we had two events in the past follow. One of them was uh, LTS that, that we announced at KubeCon, stands for long-term support. And it's basically the culmination of you know a lot of feedback from our users um, and from you know even be it internal or third-party customers that struggle a lot with the you know, the Kubernetes um, just rate of innovation and updates and so Kubernetes uh, originally had pretty much a version every three months then as part of kind of the first effort to try and address this and it was the first iteration of what was called the, the LTS working group in of Dream Kubernetes that shifted into four months. And that actually it, it is somewhat, <laughs> somewhat of a difference because it, it moved from nine months of support of one version to 12 months. Uh, so you okay. chipped away one month for, for each one of those. And so that that enabled each minor version. So by a minor version, I mean something like 1.26, so that 26 is the minor version. That would be supported for 12 months. That was still fairly challenging for um, enterprise users, um, cases of like um, independent software vendors that actually might um, have different providers where they provide their solutions towards and might have periods of validation. So sometimes, you know, adoption and then validation and then distribution, all that would eat away a lot of time for that version. And so uh, we always had to kind of play within the bounds of Kubernetes upstream because uh, on AKS we're 100% vanilla Kubernetes. We intend to always be 100% vanilla Kubernetes and sure all the compatibility, portability that Kubernetes offers. Um, but then that kind of forces us to take a hard decision here is like, 
do we keep versions you know out of their support window upstream meaning when upstream is actually producing patches and we're consuming them and that means that that cluster becomes vulnerable and it's a danger to us in our fleet to the users to their users uh, across the board or um, do we actually fork the project which is the only other, other option um, to actually be able to cherry pick things into it uh, and that is you know extremely costly extremely laborious because uh, Kubernetes is luckily a project with a ton of uh, you know contributions and effort from the upstream communities and really no single vendor is able to replace that um, and so even trying to do something um, as seemingly small scope as supporting uh, security fixes to a fork version of Kubernetes is extremely, extremely laborious. And, and it would always kind of risk a little bit if you go too much, you know, go overboard with that fork. Uh, you could just get too much into, you know, that fork and then compromise um, uh, portability itself. So as part of a long time when I was listening and working through it, we decided to kind of announce this long-term support feature that will come in for specific versions. The first one, we're currently planning for it to be 1.27, uh, which is about to be shipped. And that will give two years of uh, total time for support, where after the upstream support period ends, after that, those 12 months, that one year, we're going to be the ones cherry picking security fixes and only security fixes from, you know, I was gonna uh, upstream, ask that. upstream Kubernetes uh, onto a guest, again, in order to mitigate the risk of drift of that fork and things like that. And we're also gonna guarantee um, the upgrade from that LTS into the next LTS um, that we're gonna be testing and that we're gonna be introducing, you know, from full on upstream master branch so that that new LTS is not gonna come from our LTS forks or anything like it. It's gonna continue to be straight from upstream and it will be 100% upstream until the end of that one year, and then we'll start to do, you know, cherry picks again and, and all those fixes again. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm glad to hear that, George. But I want to find out just to kind of level set uh, for our listeners. Uh, you know, what's the process typically that Microsoft goes through to, you know, to get these versions? These versions are coming out on the open source Kubernetes GitHub site, and uh, at some point we're taking them and we're I guess making them available in AKS. Like typically in AKS, you get a choice of maybe two or three versions. I, f- I forget how many. It's not like you can go back like 10 versions or something like that. So, so there's a process that we go through to say, okay, you know, we're going to onboard these versions into AKS. And at some point, they're getting offboarded, I suppose, right when they're getting out of support. So, you know, give us an idea as to, you know, what that timeline looks like. Um, uh, for for the product, and then maybe that will help tie into what you're talking about with the LTS uh, distribution. Yeah, for sure. And and that that time is is very much as I was uh, alluding to before, de- determined by upstream. Um, so essentially, what happens is when Kubernetes ships a new version, uh, like 1.27 just came out, and we're going to introduce it this month. So we typically, as soon as it comes out, uh, we um, test it, we validate it. Uh, within codebase for our add-ons, for you know our customers, for our fleet, infrastructure, et cetera. And then after that test, we introduce it in preview. We give you know users and customers the time to actually uh, also test it uh, and for any new behavior to be uh, flushed out, to do some, some big time there. And then we GA it after those 30 days and any fixes, any tweaks that we need to do to it based on feedback. Then from there, it has that one year of support uh, that I mentioned before. And that year support happens because Kubernetes, and I kind of didn't mention that on my first part of the answer, has three versions at every given time. 
So at every given moment, Kubernetes upstream holds three versions. So right now it's 27, 26, and 25, uh, which means that those are the only three versions that get patches, patch versions produced for them. And so AKS has the exact same thing, unsurprisingly, where we have those same three versions uh, during that year, and we introduce the patches that, that upstream brings. And so what we're really saying is, once the DLPS version specifically goes out of that one year of upstream support and patches stop being produced by upstream, we're going to be cherry picking those, you know, security uh, patches and those security fixes and commits into that um, LPS version and producing you know, those private patches for customers to be able to consume in the same way that they would in um, an upstream support version. And in that case, then you would have maybe four four options in the version dropdown. There'd be one LTS and three, I guess, non-LTS uh, versions, that's, something like that. that. That's correct. That's exactly it. So, so uh, during, um, for example, as we introduce 127, that's going to still be three until the end of 127 support, and then 127 will become, you know, uh, just ac- accessible via DLTS uh, uh, functionality. That's the only way you're going to be able to create clusters with it, etc. And the three versions window of upstream support will maintain and will keep uh, moving exactly as uh, until now with no change whatsoever. A lot of our customers are, uh, thankfully, and and um, that is still what we recommend following the upstream train. So they get all the new, you know, not just security, but all the fixes, they get all the new functionality. And they're just with their cloud native applications being able to produce that. They're even in auto upgrade modes. That's definitely what they should be doing. But for those specific use cases, that might struggle those specific workloads. Maybe you know they're somewhat legacy and no one wants to touch them that frequently. Or the ISVKs that I mentioned, they'll have the opportunity to stay for two years uh, in that version. Do do um you know you talked about and and I think this is a really good thing about AKS and y'all stuck by this premise for all the years that I've been watching the service. You know, there's nothing sort of different about um, what's going on in Azure Kubernetes service versus Kubernetes in general. Anything y'all have to fix, you push into the the main branch. Right, into upstream branch, you know, it's always going to be there. Um, it, you know, you, I think I heard you mention that if you're running this LTS, this long-term support branch, we would support you upgrading to, you know, any of these downstream releases over time. Well, not really downstream, but they would be like later releases. In other words, so 127 into, you know, 130, 131. I'm probably doing the math somewhere wrong in those versions, mm-hmm. but conceptually, I mean, that that's a huge sort of testing and compatibility effort that that y'all are taking on is is the thinking that that's going to be something that's going to be an azure only thing or is this something that also gets pushed into the um, upstream branch for aks that's that's a great question uh so uh, the first and there's there's two parts to it um the first is our um lts uh, branch is already actually public in in open source so we've mm-hmm. never planned to make that a um, you know purely downstream uh, closed right. branch that only we hold, everything that we would ever do is always going to continue to be um, upstream, and in fact, it would be used by other of our flavors, you know, like HCI and our edge for instance, yeah. things like that. And customers would have access to literally those commits and the open and to anything that we're adding to it. Um, however, our goal was always to use this also as a conduit to restart the conversation upstream and to actually uh, ensure that everybody in the community uh, is able to actually benefit from something like LTS because these are not 
things that yeah, are not specific universal, to specific Azure customers. Azure. Yeah. This is completely universal in terms of the need. And obviously, we would love to kind of contribute and, and to drive this conversation uh, in you know the community. Uh, but the, it's been dormant for quite a long time, and not a lot of you know uh, peaked interest in 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 uh, uh, restarting it. And uh, you know <laughs> that our customers were still quite um, pointy about it, and so we definitely wanted to create here a middle ground where we can serve our customers and maybe find a way to reignite that conversation. And uh, actually, that did happen. Um, so uh, there's currently a public um, uh, PR and request to actually kick uh, restart and kick off or re-kick off the uh, working group for LTS upstream. Uh, and uh, a lot of our folks are uh, naturally involved in, in those discussions and also to kind of uh, spearhead that, that working group. And hopefully we can actually bring all of this that I just said and actually you know, replace in place everything I just said for AKS, but for Kubernetes all up and, and rather than the community, because again, everything that we would be going to be doing anyway was going to be in the open in the first place. Um, it was going to be coming from, uh, you know, the main branches of Kubernetes in the first place. And as you mentioned, we would always allow people to go from one LTS to the other. And while that, you know, other LTS is in the upstream support window, you, you can even exit, you know, and, and go back into upstream support and continue oh, yeah, that one if, right. if, if that is, which right. I think is super important for, for you to actually go back into that, you know, happy path of the, the rolling train. Um, but having, you know, the community and Kubernetes itself have an LTS version that we can contribute to, that we can collaborate with, with the rest of the community was always a goal of ours uh, with this announcement. And so it seems to, you know, uh, have actually sparked a lot of great conversations within the community and a lot of interest because I think, as you mentioned, this is universal. So a lot of other folks have been hearing that from their customers as well. So we actually hope to to bring everything that I just said upstream to Kubernetes uh, really soon. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's great. I mean, I think this is, you know, again, not to harp on it, but I think it is it is absolutely a balancing act that that y'all are trying to do of, you know, you want to drive. I mean, we're you're part of Microsoft. You want to drive, you know, Azure, Azure adoption and Azure use. But you, as a as a team, y'all are hugely committed to the, the the concept of this being an open source portable platform. And and you know, while yes, our customers are are asking for it, um, I think you and I have been on multiple email threads over the last couple of years of some customer somewhere begging and pleading for you know a couple of months, you know, extra. This really removes some of that fear, right? That the that that will remove that will remove a potential adoption blocker for an enterprise that's saying, hey, I want to do this, but I just can't keep up. For whatever reason, now that you know that's one last thing removed as a as a blocker. That's great. You know, I've had this discussion about you know which version of Kubernetes you're in. You know, oh, I only had deployed this version, and uh, uh, is it compatible? Uh, you know, when, when building typical cloud native applications, George. Uh, you know, the, I hope that the exact version of Kubernetes is not like super important to the average. Uh, you know, enterprise developer or enterprise customer, right? I mean, they should be, okay, they're writing, you know, C++, C Sharp or Golang code or whatever it is, and it'll run pretty much, you know, in any version of Kubernetes. Uh, I'm guessing where this is really important, this version-specific thing is with the vendors, right? The vendors that are making products that maybe add on to AKS or Bolt-on or, uh, you know, uh, other third-party systems. That's where maybe the compatible like things like I don't know like the the CSI driver or whatever like the low level stuff is where things are going to you know get really hairy. How do you uh, 
you know, make sure that, hey, you know, you've covered all these, like the, the LTS version is going to be supported by, let's say, a TwistLock or an AquaSeg uh, or somebody like that, right? Uh, you obviously, want to make you make sure that uh, they're also going to be on board with your LTS plans. Yeah, so the, the, there's really two pieces on, on that is another good question. So the on one hand, yeah, we, we would love, uh, if, you know, all applications were cloud native. Um, and and uh, frankly, over the last few, maybe a couple of years, We've actually seen a big shift um, as, as, for example, our adoption of auto upgrade and, and similar features has completely spiked um, over the last, in particular, the last year, I would even say, uh, to, you know, more than you know, 200% increase uh, over that last year of what it was before. And so we've, we see that more and more that applications are more cloud native and more, you know, resilient to the upgrades and prepared, not just resilient, prepared to the upgrades. Our upgrade has, you know, a, a quality, quality of service that is above 99.95%. Uh, so, so it very, very frequently succeeds uh, or stops uh, on behalf of high availability, prioritizing that. But it's the applications themselves that oftentimes struggle with it. And the reasons why that happens are, yes, sometimes self-inflicted when maybe there's dependencies on specific API versions um, that are deprecated from one Kubernetes version to the other. And in order to do that, if I may plug uh, something, some of the other announcements we did at KubeCon here, we've actually shipped a, a breaking change detection um, into the upgrade operation itself, where if you actually, uh, you know, click upgrade or trigger the upgrade, and um, you've had an object in the cluster that is uh, using a different API version that is removed, that is already, and for some years now, being automatically changed in STD. But the issue happens when things like operators, controllers, you know, the code itself of an application is using an API version, an API server version for Kubernetes that is in code, hard-coded at, um, at a specific version. And if that version goes away, then that code's going to break naturally. And so there was really no way for us to automatically do anything to fix this. So what we did is we actually detect if there's any call being made to the API using uh, a deprecated API and one that is going to be removed. And if that's so, we're actually not going to start the upgrade. So we actually hope that that's going to solve a lot of the issues that we see in our in our support um, uh, kind of efforts with with customers and, and and with our support teams. But the the bottom line there is for even decrease of risk and mitigation. As I mentioned, sometimes there's just a legacy workload, and that specific workload is the one that customers don't really want to do. They have everything else, and this happens. Like 90% of our estate is, you know, in auto-upgrade, and we just let it go, and we're super happy with it. But that one case, though, we really would wish that we had more time because it's just so hard to move that one. It has so many dependencies that we need to validate. Um, it is so mission critical that we really need to do it. Or sometimes, the, the vendors, and you mentioned that on the second part of your question, might be doing some validation. They might, okay, we're validated for this version. And they sometimes themselves don't have time to do the, the, the validation on other versions and be uh, the same with other providers. Some providers are not actually being able themselves to keep with the Kubernetes rate. So that's always challenging as well there. And so the, the crux of it is, while we did and we continue to recommend people to stay there and to make their applications cloud native and resilient to upgrades, uh, we also wanted to respond to those very, very pragmatic needs um, that the ISVs and other customers have been have been asking us and provide that additional time so that they have that 
to some extent peace of mind and also extra time to do those those migration windows and, the, and those upgrade windows. And so for, for an ISV uh, or someone to do it, it's really all about if that's validated in 27, it's going to continue to work and you know validate in 127. And then they have the time to actually validate it in either the next LTS or even in a different version. And as I mentioned, as a customer, you can actually move that LTS into another LTS while it's supported and then exit to the regular trains and so be able to to do that. So you're not you're not forever stuck in the LTS train if you don't want to, uh, which I think is important as well. Yeah, I I, I think you, you you may have sort of hit on this when you were talking about you know different workloads and then maybe you've got this one mission critical workload that you that you want to put on LTS. What guidance do you give people who say, hey, I have a dev and a QA and a prod environment and yes, I want my prod to be on LTS. Do, do you have some general guidance that says, hey, you should run your, you know, your dev environment in auto upgrade and your, you know, your QA environment maybe in semi-manual, like, and mm-hmm. then your prod in LTS? Or do you have some guidance for that or best practices mm-hmm. you recommend or still maybe working that out um, as you mm-hmm. figure out how LTS is going to work out in the real world? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, very interesting question. And, and we do have a, 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 our you know, KubeCon Roundup blog um, does kind okay, of we'll put we'll hol- put a pointer to that in the show notes more yeah, holistically yeah. about upgrades because that's it is tied to all of this um, that I mentioned before. So the generally speaking, you, you definitely don't want to have a, a mismatch, right? You don't want to have your prod, you know, on 127 LTS and then your dev and staging uh, and yeah. auto upgrade yeah. and then it's on like 129 and then you're you're in different you know validations. What typically we see is um, we have and recommend that um, we have the, the the different environments following the same strategy, usually at different stages, right? So you want to, you know, maybe start with your um, with your dev cluster followed by QA, etc. When you're doing, for example, auto upgrade, you want to have a maintenance window or ma- an upgrade schedule for that uh, auto upgrade to, you know, hit uh, the, the dev first, like sta- sta- yeah. staging second, yeah. and then prod third, so that you're able to actually see those changes there and update them there. If you're doing manually the same thing, you want to do that manually across the board for each one of them in in, the, okay. in this area. But you typically want them to be running, you know, around the same versions or because of the same issues, right? You want to test the, the application in the Kubernetes version with all those components that you have uh, from Kubernetes exactly being exactly the same across the board. Um, that's typically what we recommend. And if you're using LTS, that means probably you need to have an environment for that workload that needs LTS that is also in you know, staging and dev. So you'll yep. probably want to have three LTS environments or however many you might have that, that follow exactly that same purpose. Is there any uh, region affinity or whatnot with regard to LTS, like when it comes to rolling rolling that, making that available, or is that just one of those things that's available everywhere? It's uh, one of those things that is available everywhere. Uh, okay. Favorite answer. <laughs> that's good to see, yeah. This is this is very useful. Uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, having that extended support, I think, for AKS uh, is 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 going to be huge uh, for our customers. Um, it's I I, I guess the uh, the the follow up question to that is like how how do they uh, like if you want to test if this is going to work with uh, with an LTS version, do you just recommend just flipping from what they have now to the LTS, test it and test, go back? Uh, is that like an easy transition, just going back and forth between the various uh, versions, for example, or do you recommend them spinning up a new cluster with that version, you know, 
kind of uh, done from scratch? Like, is that, is that any different from just moving from version to version, for example? Uh, it's a good question. So there's there's a few different ways depending on what the workload needs. I think the the I think the most common way that we will probably gonna see is for folks to you know uh, stagger their next upgrade or or plan their next upgrade to go to 127. Um, again, coming from different places, we already heard from multiple users that they're already trying to you know put their calendars together to get that so that they then can benefit from you know the maximum amount of time possible. So if they're now you know let's say in 124, uh, they're they're probably waiting. Okay, you're gonna get 27 out. We're gonna immediately plan our you know upgrade so that it goes 24, 25, 26, 27, and then we're gonna leave it there and we're gonna do it you know all at once in one go maintenance window, and then uh, we're gonna leave it uh, there. And turn 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 LPS on when it kind of goes out of the the support period, so we can extend that um, in a supported way moving forward. That's probably how we're going to see a lot of the users do it. Now we do expect a lot of them to also do it in um, stages. Some of them might want to get actually the the kind of almost freeze ability of just like putting it on 127 and just let it be there, maybe on a a patch update schedule, and that's it. Um, we're probably going to see another type of users and needs where they might actually do for it close to the time it finishes in their own schedule. They're like, okay, it's fine now. We're happy with it. And maybe we're running 126 or 125, or we just did the 125 recently, and we're kind of happy with it. Um, and so we're actually going to be getting to 127, say, in a year's time, and then we're going to benefit from that extra year at that point. So, But in both cases, it's very much just getting to 127 and then um, turning on LTS. So, so I think the only the only last question I have sitting in my head is, you know, so if I want to leverage LTS, is it, do I have to pay for this? Is this is this just sort of included as a version and all the standard pricing and everything works, or is there a is there a premium with using LTS? Yeah, uh, and we're, we're quite quite open about it because of the the effort that it takes. So it, LTS is a um, is part of the premium tier for AKS. Um, okay, which, which a, there's lots of reasons to be on premium yeah, tier. It's yeah. not just the LTS. And so the the price for it is as uh, sixty cents an hour. So it's not uh, we're not trying but to that's, actually. That's for premium the premium SKU, not yeah. LTS sort of in and of itself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, that's, that, yeah. that's correct. Um, and so the uh, sixty cents an hour, it's kind of a uplift from the standard tier, which is ten cents an hour, um, yep. and still is a very I would say it, it's a price not for us to actually make a bunch of money on. It's pretty much for us to actually try and make this sustainable, um, that we actually are able to do all that patching and have all the yeah. infrastructure for testing and do all the work uh, for all folks and all the reviews and everything that is quite laborious, as I mentioned before. We're just literally trying to offset that uh, um, as much as possible. Um, and as, as the price will say, it's, it's it almost looks like... A, 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 a very, very, very cheap price for an LPS, uh, which we try to be, we try to make it yeah. um, cheap as possible, without making it, you know, also uh, without trying to recommend uh, that LPS is a thing. Because again, as I mentioned, we recommend people to stay on the um, on the train, the support train. They're going to get a lot more benefits, and the applications will um, will thank you for it uh, later on. But yeah, uh, it, it is a paid uh, part of the pay tier and part of the uh, premium tier for for AKS. And you're just trying to offset the cost there. Okay. Yeah. And and and, and again, I, mean, I think putting it in premium makes sense because there's, you know, I think it, I think premium is what brings some of the availability SLAs for the APIs um, and some of the other stuff as yep. well. So there's lots of good reasons to be on premium if you're a critical workload. This is just, I don't know, depending how you frame it, you could almost say this is adding to the value of premium, right? 
Um, yeah, so so there's there's three tiers uh, to to get the the naming there. So there's okay. a, a free tier um, where the the control plane is is fully free and uh, it's great again for tests. You know, PR based mm-hmm. development environments. It's just like um, fantastic. We don't plan to get rid of this because we think it brings so much value uh, for users. We've heard so much, you know, for tests and and, and dev environments. So easy, you know, just out of mind, out of sight, and then you stop the cluster and you uh, for dev and it's so uh, you know economically interesting um on the other hand then you got the standard tier that's where uh, you get the slas for the api where you really should be looking at running production at your minimum tier there and then you got premium where you get some of these more uh, features such as lts uh, where we might need to offset cost and that's usually the type of features that have cost <laughs> uh, that we incur on uh sometimes more sometimes less but that's that's where we uh, offset that cost basically okay makes sense no that, great well, no, George, appreciate you coming on to talk about this. I think this is a, a huge development for the space. And, you know, I love that y'all have stuck to your sort of standard principles, right, of, of pushing this back into upstream. You know, who knows? Maybe we're, you know, back talking in a, you know, in a year or two about, wow, this is now a thing everywhere, right? And so that would be great. Hopefully, awesome. Hopefully, so, Gene, any, any last questions or anything? No, thank thank you very much to the team for doing this. Uh, really appreciate yeah. all the work that you put there. George, any yeah. last things? Or oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Just, just thank, thanking everybody for you know for the continuous feedback and, and you know having patience as, as we uh, mull around uh, everything and try to do the right thing for um, you know uh, all of y'all, all the, the customers and users, and also the, the community, and and hopefully uh, we've, we've managed to do that this time around and, and we continue to do it. So just thank you. Sounds great. Thanks again for coming on. Awesome. Thank you, folks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.